We've got an interesting topic this morning, a topic that when we often hear this topic, um, people respond negatively. We're like, whoa, what is this topic about? Yeah, we're going to talk about the wrath of God. Um, if you're new to the class, you guys will know that we're talking about uh, death, dying, heaven, and hell. Um, all those subjects should do one extremely positive thing as we're talking about this. In fact, there's one goal as we're bringing up these topics, um, that you should walk out the door excited. Do you know that? When we're talking about death, dying, heaven, and hell, we should be walking out the door excited. The reason why is because every topic that's in the entire Bible gives glory to Christ, gives majesty to Christ, gives beauty to Christ, um, gives honor to Christ. Um, that's, where the, that's where all the meat is at. That's what the whole Bible is about. So when we bring up a topic of, of death, um, as believers, we don't have to go, okay, we're going to talk about death, and take this horrific, solemn attitude. We can I'll bring this attitude up that we have an awesome Christ in the midst of it. Um, so when we talk about um, hell, um, we often leave Christ out of it. Now, don't take that literally. <laughs> but we often leave Christ out of the topic. As soon as you leave Christ out of the topic, everything is, is negative. It's ugly. It's nothing you want. But if you treat the Bible like the Bible is supposed to be treated, of having Christ in all the centers of all the topic, then all these things will make sense. Um, so I'm just challenging us as we're talking here, when we bring up these difficult topics, um, go, wow, this must be a really depressing class. They're not really supposed to be a dep depressing class. But it's supposed to be an exciting class, um, just in a sense that Christ should receive all the glory, honor, beauty, majesty, and you get to know him more in response to these topics. So here we are going to talk about the wrath of God, and um, it has a bad rap. In other words, whenever we go, oh boy, here comes the wrath of God, a negative... Um, things start to take place um, when we start talking about the wrath of God. Um, I want to encourage you that let's put Christ in the topic. Let's look at this stuff from Christ's perspective rather than even our perspective um, as, we look into, um, as we look into this subject and uh, to see what is, really, uh, what is really going on under the topics of the wrath of God. So the goal here this morning is that when you leave, that you would understand the whole picture of the wrath of God and what has taken place behind the scenes and also in the forefront in the forefront of the arena. So number one, just to explain what wrath is, uh, wrath is an emotional response to a perceived wrong and an injustice. It's often translated um, as anger. That is just the, the definition of wrath. Emotional response to a perceived um, wrong. Is that really negative? If you have an emotional response to a perceived wrong, what are you doing? You're trying to protect. <laughs> You're trying to make sure things are taken care of. You're trying to make sure things are right. You're trying to make sure things are not destroyed. I mean, just even in the definition, you can see, is that extremely negative? Let's continue to walk through. Number two, God's anger is holy and always justified. Man's anger is never holy and rarely justified. One of the reasons why we, uh, we do not like God's wrath is because we put it um, in the same connotation, we put it in the same category of man's wrath. And what takes place in man's wrath, and I'm talking man as mankind, is that uh, um, something happens that we do not like, something that happens that's not unjust, and what do we do? Uh, we respond often 
uh, with sin. And what I mean by we respond often with sin is that, remember what sin does? Sin touches everything and annihilates. It destroys everything it comes in contact with. So if an injustice takes place, we often stand up in sin even as a result of watching the injustice take place as we unleash our, our wrath on the topic and on the subject. But when you think of God's wrath, it's, it's, something, it's something different. Wrath is, of God's wrath is completely um, controlled. Um, in other words, it's not something that just unleashes. It is something completely controlled and uh, designed in a sense that it will release, and I will release it when I need to release it uh, to bring life. It's something that is completely um, absorbed, um, and we're going to talk a lot about how God's wrath is absorbed um, on the cross, but it's also something that's absorbed right now. What have we earned? What do we deserve? What should we have? Um, number one, we should have death. And then shortly after death, we should have annihilation um, of our rebellion against, against God. That's what we should have, and that's what everybody in the room should have, and everybody in the world should have. Um, but for some reason, we get the sun to warm us. Uh, we get the air um, in our lungs. Uh, we get joy that has taken place on earth. All of us, whether we believe in Jesus or not, we're receiving a major blessing from God um, as a result of sinners, but still as a result of receiving something that is, that is extreme. So wrath is being controlled. We deserve it, but yet he has pulled it away, and he, is not, um, he only distributes it when he, um, when he, wants, when he wants to. And uh, when he does distribute it, it always brings purpose, and it always brings life. Uh, I'm going to bring life to the topic, life to the subject, therefore I'm going to bring wrath to the topic, wrath to the subject. And you might be thinking, how does that work? Don't worry, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, number three, uh, this is just kind of talk a little bit more about wrath. Uh, God's wrath is settled, opposition to evil, uh, never temperamental, cranky, but controlled, righteous, righteous and uh, distributed justly. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What does sin bring? It brings death. What does righteousness bring? It brings life. So what does God want a person that he has um, that he loves. What does he want from them? He wants them to live. He does not want them to die. So let's look at uh, that's just kind of an explanation of wrath that's just kind of general that you can hang on to in your notes. But let's move into it. But let's move into the topic of more anger because we understand the whole concept of anger and it really relates with us. Wrath and anger are the same thing. Wrath is an older word and anger is more of a word that is modern that we understand. So let's, um, let's look at um, anger. And let's look at the concept where we will really set on this morning that we need an angry God. Do you believe that we need an angry God? Number four, it is impossible to have a loving God who has no anger. Is it impossible to have, it's impossible to have a loving God that has no anger? What, what, what do you think, how could that be? Um, let's just give you a really fast example because we live in a society that says the comment, we do not want an angry God. I just want a loving God. You give me a loving God that I can fall in love with. Why do we have to have all this wrath thing? Why do we have to have hell? Why do we have to have all these things where God leashes out? We just want a loving God. But ask the question, is that possible? If you make a statement that I want a loving God rather than an angry God, than an angry God 
I will make a, a scenario of what you're saying. Pretend there's a homeless guy um, that is on the street. And I uh, pick the homeless guy up. And, and I give him Jesus. I say, you know what? Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose again. You can find salvation. And, and he accepts Christ right there um, on the street. And as he accepts Christ on the street, he says, yeah, but that does it save me from uh, um, the life that I live? And I explain to him, you know, it's a process of saving you from the life you live. It's just got to take a couple steps at once. He goes, well, how do I get off the street? And, um, and I tell him, do you know what we'll do? Is that I'll take you into my home. And as I take you into my home, uh, we will work on steps to trying to get you off of the street. And as we're working on steps to try to get you off the street, um, then your life with Christ uh, will be made new. It will be strong, and you will be on your feet again. So sure enough, I come home, and I introduce him to my wife, and I introduce him to my daughters, and I introduce him to a room, and I give him a room uh, to stay in. So sure enough, the first week is really good, uh, but the second week, um, he starts to take advantage of my wife. Um, say he starts to rape my wife. And, and then he starts to do things that are, not that are completely inappropriate to my daughters. Now, what would I do as a man if I took a homeless person into my house and I gave him a roof and all of a sudden he is starting to use, abuse, and destroy everything? Um, if I did not have wrath, what kind of statement would I make? If I went up to my wife and my children and said, you guys don't understand, I know that this is happening, but he needs Jesus, and he needs to get onto his feet, and we need to give him the support to do this. You guys, we need to figure this out and continue to make this work. For me to make that statement would do what to my wife and to children? For me to make that statement would display hatred, anger, and viciousness to my wife and children. Isn't that correct? See, what happens is this is the way that God works. He understands the concept of sin. He understands the concept of evil. He understands what has taken place even to his people that here on earth. And as he is watching these things take place, um, is he making the statement of, you guys just bear it. You guys just keep on going. Don't, don't worry about this. Um, and as you are feeding into your own sin, it's all right. I'm a God who loves. I'm a God who forgives. Don't worry about it, even though that it destroys you. You see how it is impossible to have love and not have anger. Because if you are loving somebody, it is going to fuel the anger when that person is not taken care of. It's going to fuel the anger when that person is not protected. There's no way that you can be completely um, in love with your wife and not have the desire to make sure that she was never um, abused, taken advantage of, or that you really wouldn't care if those things took place. There is no way that God can look at sinners. And as God is looking at sinners to have an anger of us choosing to destroy ourselves with sin. Because remember what sin does. Sin touches everything, it destroys everything, it destroys everything it comes in contact with, and it ruins absolutely everything. And what do we do as people? We continue to feed on it. I was trying to think of what would make me more angry than anything in this world. I think the thing that would make me more angry than anything in this world is if I was walking through this life with, a, I'll just say, one of my daughters, 
And as I'm walking through this life with one of, one of my daughters, I said, if you leave my side, you will die. In other words, if you leave my side, you will be annihilated. You have to be shoulder to shoulder with me as we walk. So in this scenario of us, me and my daughters walking through life, my daughters are like, ah, start, I'm go, no, I would get so angry if they choose to leave by my side. Um, it, and the reason why I know that I get so angry is because I have a dog that likes to play in the road. And nothing makes me more angry in my life than to have a dog that I love walk out on the road for no inapparent reason as cars are flying by. It drives me crazy. In fact, I got so angry that I went down and I spent $180 on an electric fence that goes underneath the ground, and I love it when he gets shocked. I just, when he walks, I'm just like, yes! There's just so much pleasure in that. And the reason why is because I want the dog protected. And if my daughter was walking alongside me and she would keep moving away, knowing that she would die if she moved away, it would make me so angry, I would do, I'd love to put a shock collar on her. I mean, do you see how the anger has to take place um, if there is love? And do you see the reason why is because if sin is here to ruin us and we have a God that loves us, it is impossible for him not to have wrath. Um, here we have a verse, 1 John 4, 8, says what? God is love. Whenever we go to the topic of wrath, this is the verse that we put up and say God is not full of wrath. God is a God who's full of love, and my cry is that that is impossible to have a God of love and not to have a God of wrath. Because if he is a God of love and he lets me be abused with no emotional connection to it, then he is not a God that I would end up worshiping. He's not a God that is pure. He is not a God that can make this statement, I am a God of love. In fact, I'll even go a statement further. Number five, love is the fuel that sets anger aflame. And I'm not only talking about with God, I'm talking about with us. Um, whenever you are angry, you can locate it to what you are in love with. So whenever time you lose your temper, ask the question, what am I in love with? Often uh, we get angry because we are in love with peace and quiet. And when peace and quiet is disrupted, maybe in your apartment and upstairs, what are they doing? They're throwing a party. What does that make you do that makes you get angry what is the fuel that is setting that anger on fire? Peace and quiet. Why can't we just live in a house when there's peace and quiet and then the fuel starts to burn? You often love your position. When we love our position and our position is threatened, what do we do? It fuels, it's the flames, the fuel that brings anger to the, to the surface to say, don't take my position, don't move me out, it starts to move. I love being... Um, I love love. I love being in love. So if you look at um, a husband and wife, uh, wives um, are starving for love. Men, husbands are starving for respect. That's you get the love and respect thing um, that, that kind of goes. So if a wife does not feel loved, what's she going to do? It's going to be an anger towards her husband. On the contrary, if a husband doesn't feel respected, what's going to take place? 
There's going to be an anger that comes. But where does that anger, what's fueling that anger? The thing that's fueling the anger is your love for something. Your love for respect or your love for being loved and then your expectation that your mate produces. You see how anger or um, love is a fuel of almost everything that we do? I love my needs being met. How come relationships often sometimes don't work out? Is when young people even go into relationships or older people go into relationships, there's, there's these needs that, you feel that need to be met. And in the process, these needs being met, when they're not met, what takes place? Anger goes. Why? Because you love your needs to be met, and anger is your automatic reaction to, um, to that love. I love my rights. I think we can talk about politics. And uh, when we look at politics, there's often a lot of, oh, I just don't like what's taking place. Why do you not like what's taking place? Is because you love something that you're trying to hang on to. Uh, whatever it is, it's freedom or whatever it is, but I could almost make a radical statement that uh, nobody has an anger problem. We all have love problems. Because every time the anger comes out, if we're doing kind of a, an anger therapy, okay, let's try to get, this is an anger management room, let's try to find out what we are in love with. Because if we can find out what we are in love with, and work on that peace, we can calm the anger down. If, in other words, if peace and quiet is what you're in love with, okay, let's just work on the peace and quiet. Why are you in love with, and then work on that subject, then your anger would be calmed, would calm down. So love is the fuel um, that sets anger to a flame uh, with all of us, and also with God. If God was not a God of love, God would not be a God of anger. But since he is a God of love, then he is a God that has anger. But remember, it's not like our anger. It does not come across unjustly. It comes across pure, and it comes across holy. So we'll ask the question, what is God in love with? Um, Because he is a God of wrath. If he's a God of wrath, we have to understand what is fueling that, um, what is fueling that anger? What is fueling his, his, uh, um, his, his fury? What is fueling the, uh, the wrath that he's going to distill on people? What is fueling that? Uh, the first thing that's fueling it, and the ultimate thing is uh, letter A, God's love for his holy name. God is extremely in love with his holy name. What is his holy name? Holy is set apart from the sinful nature. It has nothing to do and mix with the sinful nature. In fact, you can use the word holy as purity, purity, purity. This is what stands above all else. Um, J.I. Packer says, oh no, it's not J.I. Packer, it's um, Piper, John Piper. Sorry, I had to think of, think of his name. Uh, John Piper um, makes a statement that we are not God's first love. God's first love is rooted in the value of his holy name because if it's not rooted in the value of his holy name, everything crumbles. Everything destroys. If we are God's first love, what he has to do to embrace us is to go past his holy name and embrace us. And as he is embracing us, what is he doing? He's destroying his holy name as he's moved down to our level. Is that health? Is that good? Is that what I need as a person? What I need as a person is for God to love his holy name more than anything else because as soon as God does not love his holy name as the ultimate, what's going to happen? 
everything is going to crumble, including us. So what's taken place is that he is passionate in love with his holy name, and he will be exalted under any circumstances, no matter what takes place. He will not sin. He will not embrace sin, and that holy name will stand above all else. I have uh, this passage written down, but just in regards of trying to get through it fast, um, I'm just going to tell you the story about, um, about David. And uh, sure enough, David received the Ark of the Covenant after he became king. He says, this is going to be in the center of the house. And, uh, and as soon as we bring the ark in, back into our camp, uh, we're going to worship God. This is going to be awesome because we have had a government and we've had a people and we have had Israel without God. This is a day of celebration because we're bringing God back to us. So they put the ark of the covenant on a cart. And as they're putting the ark of the covenant on a cart, they were transporting it. And as they're transporting it, a guy named Uzziah was walking inside of it. He had the Levites who were standing all around it, making sure that that ark was taken care of because it is the Holy of Holies in regards to, um, in regards to the Old Testament, in regards to the Bible. So as the cart was being transported, the oxen begin to stumble, and the cart, or the Ark of the Covenant, starts to fall to the ground. Um, what would happen if that Ark of the Covenant fell to the ground? Uh, it would have been ugly. It would have been nasty. So Uzziah, what did he do? Well, I got to protect the ark. He reaches out, grabs a hold of the ark for one purpose, to make sure that the ark doesn't fall to the dirt. And then what happens when he touches the ark of the covenant? He zapped with fire, destroyed, killed immediately. And as he's killed immediately, what does David respond? David gets angry at God and says, God, we are trying to bring you into the camp, and we are trying to honor you, respect you, and you kill somebody that's trying to help you out. And as you kill somebody that's trying to help you out, why would we worship, you know, even a God? He, wouldn't, he didn't say these words. But there was frustration that was, was taking place. Was that right for God to do? That story is telling us, is that we cannot compromise the holiness of God. If God says, do not touch the holy of holies, don't touch the holy of holies, because if Uzziah touched the ark, what would God have to do? He would say, Uzziah, you're my hero. Thank you for being stronger than me, because I almost lost the ark off the cart, and that wouldn't have been good. Is that true? No, no, no. God's got it all under control. Holy of holies, respect it. Uzziah, I really don't need you to walk past it, buy it. It might make you feel good, but I am in control, and it is going to happen the way I want it to happen. Therefore, don't touch it. He struck him dead. R.C. Sproul makes a statement. Uzziah made a horrific mistake, and the horrific mistake that he made is that he felt like the dirt of the ground was more clean than his hands. And he goes, this is R.C. Sproul talking, Dirt is designed to do what dirt is designed to do by God. Our hands are not designed what our hands are supposed to do for God. Our hands consistently reject God. Our hands consistently sin. The dirt of the ground is a lot more pure than the hands. You let it fall to the dirt before you touch it. But do you see where God is protecting his holiness? He has to protect his holy name because everything will crumble. Leviticus 10.3, Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Isaiah 5, 25. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and strikes them down. The mountains shake, and the dead bodies are like uh, refuge in the street. 
Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still appraised. Why is God angry at us? Because he is passionately in love with his holy name. And we are people that disrespect, dishonor, displease his holy name. He has to make the statement that the holy name is what I hang on to. The holy name is the ultimate passion of love. So that's one thing that he is extremely in love with. Uh, But there's another thing that... uh, um, he is extremely in love with that fuels his anger, and that would be number B, God is in love with a sinful people who dishonors his holy name. You see those two? Those two don't mix. God's holy name and a sinful people, they don't, they don't mix. In other words, how are you going to have both of them put together? Do you feel the emotions um, of God and the passion of his love? and then the frustration that he can have. I love my holy name. It will not be destroyed. It will not be rebuked. It will not be put down. It will be completely honored, and it will be worshipped. And I love the people that do not what? Worship. I love the people that do not respect my holy name. I love the people that have sin inside of them. There's a friction between in God. Isaiah 48, 8 through 10, or 11. You have not heard... You have not known. Even from long ago, your ear has not been open, because I knew that you would be, deal treacherously, and you have been called a rebel from birth. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath, and for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have confined you, but, you, but not as silver. I have tested you, but not in a furnace of affliction. For my own sake, my own name's sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. You see the the tension um, in this verse? The love for his holy name, a covenant that he gave to Abraham that says, I'm going to save people for his holy name, but then how is he going to save it? I will tell you, this tension is carried in the Old Testament where you see wrath just just building up but holding back building up holding back completely restrained completely hold back all the way through the old testament this is what has taken place um what's going to happen what's going to take place we see his anger what fueled by love for his people and love for his holy name and then what we do is we see in the new testament his anger um released number six at the cross you see the love for god's holy name and the love for his sinful people Come together. When you look in the um, Old Testament, um, it's it's consistently talking um, about wrath. And one thing that it's talking about wrath is a cup. And when it comes to a cup, is that people used to drink poison. That's how you martyred people. In fact, that's how Socrates was um, was martyred. He was he drank he drank poison. So whenever you start talking about the cup, it really means, it really means wrath is what, it, is what it's saying. Jeremiah 25, uh, 15 says, Take this cup of wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations whom I send to drink it. Uh, here's an, an angry God mentioning a cup, and it should be distributed with wrath. Ezekiel 23, 33, the cup of horror of desolation. Habakkuk 2, 16, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and under disgrace will come upon his glory. So when you look all the way through the Old Testament, you get 
people being fed wrath with the, the cup of wrath, but then you get something radical that takes place in the New Testament in Christ's life. And looking at Matthew 26, 39, it says, My Father, this is him in the garden, Jesus praying in the garden, if it is not possible, let this what? Cup? Cup of what? Cup of wrath? Let this cup pass from me. Let this poison pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. John 18, 11. We have Peter when they come to take Jesus. And when he's come to take Jesus, Peter says, you're not going to take him. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some ministry. So the way he does his ministry is he pulls out his sword and he starts to fight people off. And as he's fighting the people off, he cuts off a person's ear. Jesus puts the ear back on him. But then Jesus makes a statement to Peter that is kind of almost a, um, a, a slap in the face to Peter. But here's a statement he made to Peter. So Jesus said to Peter, but the sword, put the sword in the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? See, Jesus had a huge understanding of God's love. Therefore, he had a huge understanding of, what, of God's wrath. He loves his holy name. He loves his sinful people. And Jesus is going to do what? He's going to go right in between both of them. And as he's going in between both of them, he's, he's literally saying, God, give me the cup, and they're doing it as a team, the Trinity, give me the cup of the wrath of those people that deserve to drink the cup. And here he is saying, shall I not drink of this cup? This cup of poison is going to give these people life. Now we can say, you know, I don't want a God of don't want a God of, of wrath. I want a, a God of love. Well, it's a complete impossibility, and the cross shows that it's a complete impossibility because that's where you get the ultimate love and the ultimate wrath completely displayed. That's where you get the ultimate love for his holy name and the ultimate love for his people completely, completely displayed. And then after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended, um, Paul gives us a ceremony, and look at the ceremony he gives us. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. In the same way, after supper, he took the what? Cup, after the bread, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, whatever you drink, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see what's taking place, the system that is taking place, is that when we drink the bread and eat the cup, we are saying, I live because the wrath is not on me. There is a God that took the wrath in my place, and his name is Jesus. Do you see how that salvation is, is working? You see how the love, the dynamics of love and the dynamics of wrath is working, and the awesomeness of the salvation message, how it takes place, putting it all together? Number seven, until you believe in the wrath of God, you'll never believe in the love of God. God's love, um, if there was no cross, there would be a statement to people, sinful people, that God's love is rooted in you. In other words, he loves us so much that he is going to not do no cross, no wrath, nothing. His love is rooted in you as he embraces you. But 
God's love is where? He's rooted in him if the cross took place. See what Christ is doing? It's a complete display of love as is given. Romans 5, 9, much more then, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. 1 Peter 2, 24, say that he bore our sins in his body while on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should become children of who? Children of, of God. And then number eight, uh, we would be stupid if we don't embrace Christ as our Savior. Why would we not be, why would we be stupid if we don't embrace Christ as our Savior? Is because there is a love that comes so strong that there is a wrath that is fueled beside it. But all the wrath has then been what? Released. The wrath against the sin that has taken place has been completely gone and said, you're completely forgiven. You're completely let go. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Why? Because all the sin that you carried is now on my son, and I've completely unleashed all my wrath on him rather than you. All you need to do is what? Is say, God, I don't want the wrath of my sin to come upon me. All you have to do is say, God, I want to believe in you and let the wrath of my sin go upon Christ instead. The price has already been paid. He is a God who loves, and he is a God who loves us so much that wrath is fueled. But wrath is not fueled on where? On us. It was fueled on who? It was fueled on Christ. Romans 2, 5 through 8. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of righteousness and judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his own deeds. Um, that's, that's ugly. <laughs> In other words, we're just going to get what? What we've done according to what we have done. According to our deeds, not according to I am going to make you pay so bad because you didn't accept me as your, um, as your son. And we're going to talk a little bit about this on hell. But what's taking place is what are we being judged on even when we go to hell? Are we being judged on what? This anger, malicious, I'm going to destroy, annihilate. We talked about Samson yesterday in men's breakfast. Rip you apart. You men know what I'm talking about when I talk, when I talk about this. What is taking place in hell? According to this verse, you will render to each person according to your deeds. That wrath will be distributed wholly. That wrath will be distributed justly. That wrath will be distributed for what you have done. Well, Christ, member took it. But it will be distributed for what you have done. Give it to Christ. Don't hang on to it. Get rid of it. But it will distribute for what you have done, and that is what we will pay for when we talk about hell. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation um, would be yours. But do you see the measure of wrath, where it goes? The measure is what we do as people, as sinners, or on Christ. And we're going to get into hell, not next week, because I'm going to do another one. Um, I kind of put another one in the middle there. Um, but we'll be talking specifically about the wrath of God when it comes to hell in, re in that regard.
So, I'm going to open it up to questions. The whole goal this morning is that when you walk out the door, that you understand that wrath is needed and is okay. Yes, Steve. Yeah, I really agree with what you were saying about a loving God. Um, a loving God has to, uh, you know, correct and chasten. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that a loving father always chastens his son. Otherwise, we're nothing more than bastards, excuse the expression, but that's pretty much what mm-hmm. it says in King James. But uh, the thing is, it reminded me of uh, something that happened uh, at Toys R Us with my, my son when he was little. We saw this one little kid, he uh, started cussing at his mom, saying, I want that, mom. Dear, we can't afford that. Started cussing at it and even kicking her. Dear, we can't afford that, but how about if I buy you this? Well, okay, I still want that. She said, well, maybe lady. We, so he got what he, uh, he got something else. So Aaron, when he was little, we were getting a present for one of his cousins for a birthday present. He started drawing breath, and I saw his expression. I thought, uh-uh, I know exactly what's going to happen. Before he even opened his mouth, I swatted him on the butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Melissa was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> and so I explained to Aaron after we uh, got, home, uh, got into the car, I said, son, I didn't raise you up to become somebody that just disobeys, uh, you know, and everything. And I said, what that lady did was not love for her son. That was appeasement. She, uh, if you don't correct, if you don't chase them sometimes, then they're going to continually go toward yeah. evil. There has to be some, you know, uh, you know, guidance, some barriers uh, that are set up. You have yeah. to set up... Uh, you know, rules, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and uh, sometimes if they do break them, then you do have to inflict, uh, but that's, I don't look at it as punishment. I look mm-hmm. at chastening as discipline, but will lead to yourself disciplining, just like Pastor yeah. talks about in a lot of his things, you have to sometimes decide, discipline yourself, and then uh, that becomes a self-discipline. Yeah, if you look at the Old Testament, um, you'll see wrath. In fact, I looked up every verse. You'll see wrath released onto people. Um, one thing that when we see, in fact, uh, you know, I could have just talked so much about the wrath released in the Old Testament. You're saying, why? Why is all the wrath released in the Old Testament? Um, God doesn't only have his children in mind. God has his holy name in mind, which is going to bring Christ. The bloodline of Christ is coming through. Um, the other thing that God has is God has your grandchildren in mind. He has your great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-great-grandchildren. And he's got the, the mixture of generations that are coming through. So you see what's taking place in the Old Testament is there's a lot of, I've got to wipe out these people. And you see this distri- distribution of wrath for the purpose of what? Um, his holy name. In fact, we found that in Psalms when it went to, I'm going to give you to the tribe of Judah. You know, he starts going down on these different tribes and, and all, there's so much wrath that is there. And finally just, I'm settled to the ra- tribe of Judah and then starts, destro- you know, and starts distributing and destroying. So wrath is so controlled to bring life. And, and Christ is coming for that ultimate piece of life and it's controlled all the way through the Old Testament. So when you see wrath 
unleashed at Sodom and Gomorrah. You see wrath unleashed in different areas. He's, he has the whole picture in mind. He doesn't have the moment um, in mind. And for his decision to annihilate people or even annihilate a nation, um, what's that? What's the purpose in the Old Testament for that? The purpose in the Old Testament for that um, is often the idolatry, I'm stepping away from you, <laughs> or that bloodline of Christ that is going through. See, it's again, it's this love for his holy name or love for people. As I mentioned, when your daughters step away from you, that's, no, you're going to die if you do that. In fact, idolatry is a word that you're going to get wrath more than anything else. They turned from the Lord and the wrath came down. It's stepping away from God. Do you see what you're doing? Is there another hand? We had a couple more hands that were up. We have Bob. I think Bob had a Bob. I just wanted to um, maybe turn uh, our heads towards the uh, Uzziah uh, example that you gave, and um, I my my observation or my comment is: <clears throat> yes, he was immediately um, eliminated, um, and. Those that were there uh, were quite upset about that, and um, <clears throat> they even had some wrath towards God about it. But um, if you take the example of, of, of disciplining the child, <clears throat> um, we're, we're not going to have a lot of remorse about doing that because we understand that that needs to take place, and so does God. And does not, in all of the scriptures, does not God also provide for Uzziah as far as he's, he's been removed from this earth? I'm not going to use the word death, but he's been removed from this earth. And is it to, for us to pass judgment then on God for what he did as, oh my gosh, you removed this guy from us and, and it was terrible and it was, it was on and on and on and on. But in fact, God's telling us, this is the observation, have faith in me. It's all going to work out. Don't worry about it. He did what he did, but I'm taking care of it, and it's okay. Yeah. That's the observation I'm making. Yeah. That. So scenario, of if, say, Uzziah was 50 year, 40 years old, the cup, you know, God give him, gave him grace for 40 years, and we should celebrate that. If he touched the ark and he lives another 20 years, God says, well, you touched the ark. I'm not going to make this example um, of my holiness. I'm going to let you live for another 20 years. Would that 20 years really be worth it? We're reading a story, you know, thousands of years later. It's, it's not worth it. God's all about his holy name and displaying himself. And I don't want to say this bad. Life is cheap. <laughs> Maybe from God's, from God's perspective, it's, 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 it can go fast. But the focus is, is what? Is, is the only name? Did Uzziah go to heaven? <laughs> I believe he went to heaven. But he, God had to make a statement, and his statement was, and I agree with you, Bob, with, we shouldn't be angry if God's making these statements that, um, that need to be made. So, Mike, I have a question kind of along with Bob's there, but just looking at this verse that you had up there, Romans, uh, I guess it was Romans 5, 9. It says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So does that verse say that because we're Christians and we're believers that we will not see God's wrath? Um, because if it does say that, 
than what you were just talking to Bob about with Uzziah, mm -hmm. he shouldn't have God's wrath put against him. I would say that when it comes, you got to look at it from God's perspective. Um, I would not even, I know Steve did, but I would not use the words wrath um, on this side of, on this side of, of heaven, or in other words, in this, in this life. I mean, just, just bringing this up. Um, because what happens is if you use the word Uzziah, my wrath came down, he was completely annihilated. Um, that is one category of wrath that did what? That killed him. It was temporal wrath that destroyed him. He probably didn't even feel it. Um, there is another depth of wrath, and it's the second death. And that wrath rests on you um, for eternity. Um, and that is the wrath that when I'm often speaking about wrath, we're talking about this, this eternal wrath rather than, oh, I, I sinned and all of a sudden I received wrath. I would not say I sinned, I received wrath. I said I sinned, I received discipline, and I use that in a different category of wrath because discipline is doing what? It is um, correcting me. It is trying to make me whole. It's trying to make me better. It's trying to draw me back to God. Um, so as discipline takes place, I'm going to supposedly move somewhere towards God. As wrath has taken place, um, you're, not deaf, you're, not, you're not really moving anywhere. And this is just my perspective in a sense of um, the word wrath comes down. It usually, and I, I can't make the statement because I don't know exactly, and there might be one that's not, it usually kills. I'm just going to say that. It usually annihilates. Whenever you hear that God's wrath, nations are wiped out. It's the eternal wrath that happens. It's an aggressive wrath. Discipline's in a whole different category. Uzziah was not disciplined. Why? Because Uzziah died. Um, if Uzziah got struck in the foot and lost his leg, I don't even, I, my guess is I don't think they'd use the wrath. My anger came down. I took off his leg. Um, that's a whole different category. And what it does, it gives the degree of that anger. It's not that bad. You can touch the ark and lose a leg. Or you can touch the ark and use a life, lose a life. There's a statement that's being made there. So, so Mike, when, when uh, Aaron's sons, when they put the tabernacle on, and they put the fire in those little things that they flung around there, and they were, at, they were killed by God instantly, too, because of his wrath. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yes. Okay. Nate so Abinabai, he just, he making yeah. a statement. So, you're, so the, but, but Romans 9, or, or Romans 5, are they talking about, they're talking about wrath. They're not talking about discipline, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. And where is that eternal wrath that I deserve going, if I'm a believer? That eternal wrath is going on Jesus, that Jesus did not just die for my sins. Jesus bore my sins on the cross as he died. So that's saying my eternity of sins are, are put on that cross, rather than him just dying for the sins. There's two different degrees there. And I think that when it comes to the, the, the fire of wrath, it's in a, a different degree. And when it's not, I'm just releasing my wrath on Jesus, I think it's releasing his eternal wrath on Jesus at the cross. Because he took his sins inside of us when he died on the cross. And if he was not perfect, he couldn't have done that. Okay, I'll come talk to you sometime this week about that. No, yeah, <laughs> you did. No, no, it's, it's good. I want to keep talking. That's good.
all the way over. Unless you want to give Terry that microphone. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess it's kind of uh, off to the side question, but uh, in the verse in Revelations talking about being recompensed for our deeds in the body, um, do you think I guess, is there going to be wrath for choices we've made after salvation, or do you feel like it's just going to be like the absence of a reward as um, far as? I would use more of a, just personally, use my perspective and study it and reading it um, would be um, absence of reward. Okay. Um, I think that we're going to go, oh boy, what did I do with my life? You know, in a sense that I, you know, I had Christ as my Savior, I had all this opportunity. And um, it says that we would stand um, before God for what we did and, and we did not, we did not do. And um, I think that um, when it comes to, um, when it comes to heaven, you know, yeah, and God's wrath, I'll just say in the category of God's wrath, I think there's a, a decision on um, how much sin do I pay, uh, do I get paid for? Um, does Jesus take 75% of my sin and I take 25% of my sin? And I would say Jesus did not take 75, we take 25. I'd say Jesus took 100% of our sins, and that brings what salvation. So there is going to be awards, um, but to put the wrath um, in there, um, for me and my study of just trying to figure it out, that um, I think that it would, be, um, it would be more so, am I saved or not saved? Awards are going to take place, rewards are going to take place where they're going to look like. Okay. And that's just, that's just my perspective. Thank you. All right, about eight after. Any more comments, questions? All right, so just uh, um, in closing, again, we have a Christ that has taken his wrath. Our, the, the sins that I earned and deserve and the punishment that I should have has been transferred to Jesus. The question would be, am I taking advantage of that? Have I taken the opportunity of that? All right, we're dismissed.